0: cut at the beginning of this one already guys <laughs> holy shit oh my god oh worst intro ever yeah <laughs> <laughs> probably not honestly Oh no, no some of the early ones were. we've probably done not. worse we've done yeah. worse and we'll do worse when in doubt we've done worse so we're back
1: yes we're back, back
0: at it again back um, at it again and uh and this time we're gonna actually
1: start Wretched the intro to the book. Yeah, we're going to we're going to actually do The Wretched of the Earth by uh Franz Fanon, but he's not going to write the part that we're doing yet because not we're yet. not doing chapter 1 yet. We're doing the preface.
0: Also, uh for those of us familiar with the old uh, uh from for the OGs who were here for Capital, um Wretched of the Earth, based on just the way it is structured, is probably going to end up being a little like Capital. We got real lucky, because Lennon is the master editor, Yes, that he all of his works made very nice one-chapter-at-a-time readings. Um, Fanon's like I feel like chapter one's like sixty something pages
1: and yeah, we're we'd be gonna here break for, that. Up. Yeah, it's gonna be multiple. And like, we're not gonna know how to break that up yet, so it's gonna be like chapter ten or fifteen or twenty five a yeah. capital. We're go- where we're not gonna do an intro. We're next, just gonna start
0: talking. Next relatively. week
1: we're gonna be locked in a closet for like
0: four hours
1: for yeah. one chapter, and we'll figure out how to split it from there. Yeah, and then we'll arbitrarily split it. And then all you get is intro, outro, music, and we'll just start talking. Yeah, we'll just we'll yeah. In the meantime, though, preface. 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 Preface to the book. Preface. So this is uh, from Jean Paul Sartre. Is that did I do it right? It's close enough. Okay. I'm this just going to go back I to I think Sartre. it's good. I think it's good. Okay. Okay. Jean Paul Sartre. I like so. Sartre. I'm all a right. Sartre man. There's Sart people. Everyone, they,
0: you know, everyone has their own take on that wonky. I like I like
1: Sart because it rams with fart. It does. It so. does. Yeah, wall-eyed <laughs> <Right>. motherfucker. <laughs> he to... does look
0: like a chameleon. Oh yeah, you he's, don't know what you don't know whether he's coming or going. Yeah, I mean don't. You, we talked about like Camus being like all good looking and, and Camus <laughs> is the most fuckable philosopher of all it's time. Is I will die man alive. on that hill. You put he's, him up against a. Mo- that man is a movie star. Yeah. Oh. Um, Oh, he had horrible politics and he's a bad person.
1: But god damn it, was he fucking! That is, oh my god! Like I'd be like, dude, just let me pop your zits to fuck you. I just want. I wanted
0: that. Oh, that picture of of him with the popped collar, with the French and the cigarette. Oh, and then you've got Sartre looking at both sides of the room. (laughs) I'm telling you, he looks like a fucking pipe smoking chameleon. And yet Simone de Beauvoir was all up on that, and I don't know why. Apparently, if you're good enough at philosophy, no one cares. Sure,
1: <laughs> you just right your way through everything. Uh, that said, um, and you know, we're we're ones that obviously critical, support all the time. We're uh, we're not going to idolize people we we believe in them because they're right. Uh, and I seem to vague. I don't even remember what right now, so I'm not going to get into it. But I vague, seem to vaguely remember some problematic things from Sartre but for the most part, he's very, very good. All of the existentialists have problematic things because
0: they're existentialists.
1: Yes, Uh, but for the most part, he's very, very good. I would recommend a lot of people reading a lot of his work. Uh, We're going to read some of it in this preface here. Uh, He is the guy, and I can't remember if it's a spoken quote by him or if it's from existentialism as a humanism, but he's the guy that says that I don't fight fascism because I'm going to win. I fight fascism because it's fascism.
0: Yeah, no, that definitely, yeah, that definitely sounds like Sartre. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: so... He also
0: um, said, hell is other people, and that's a good phrase that just gets misused, but it's yeah. a solid, it, it gets used by a bunch of preppy douchebag hipsters on their shirts, but it's it's accurate. <laughs> as, a, as an antisocial
1: person that loves canceling plans, this is the most accurate <laughs> phrase in the history of fucking time. But in the meantime, this is his preface uh, from his very good friend, uh, Franz Fanon, or for his very good friend, Franz Fanon. So we're going to start, not so very long ago... The Earth numbered 2,000 million inhabitants. I have no idea what the fuck that number means. Yeah, yeah, I guess, no. I guess 2 trillion? I don't know. 500 million men and 1,500 million natives. The former had the word. The others had the use of it. Between the two, there were hired kinglets, overlords, and a bourgeoisie, shammed from beginning to end, which served as go-betweens. In the colonies, the truth stood naked, but the citizens of the mother country preferred it with clothes on. The native had to love them something in the way mothers are loved. The European elite undertook to manufacture a native elite. They picked out promising adolescents. They branded them with red-hot iron, with the principles of Western culture. They stuffed their mouths with high-sounding phrases, grand gluttonous words that stuck to the teeth. After a short stay in the mother country, they were sent home whitewashed. These walking lies had nothing left to say to their brothers. They only echoed. From Paris, from London, from Amsterdam, we would utter the words, Parthenon, Brotherhood. And somewhere in Africa or Asia, lips would open, Thanon, Thurhood. It was the golden age. It came to an end, the mouths opened by themselves, the yellow and black voices still spoke of our humanism. But only to reproach us with our inhumanity. We listened without displeasure to these polite statements of resentment, at first with proud amazement. What? They're able to talk by themselves? Just look what we have made of them. We did not doubt but they would accept our ideas since they accused us of not being faithful to them. And we've already talked about the Enlightenment movements and the equality, but oh, not for you. Yeah. Yeah, things like that. Then, indeed, Europe could believe in her mission. She had Hellenized the Asians, she had created a new breed, the Greco Latin Little N. We might add between our quite between ourselves, as men of the world, after all, let them bow their heads off. It relieves their feelings. Dogs that bark don't bite. God. Which yeah it's, it's yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, again, written to the not fucking around. Sartre does not fuck around.
0: Sartre, yeah, and that is, I, yeah, I will get, he does not need
1: flowery language. He just no. says stuff. <laughs> yes. A new generation came on the scene, which changed the issue. With unbelievable patience, its writers and poets tried to explain to us that our values and the true facts of their lives did not hang together, and that they could neither reject them completely, nor yet assimilate them. By and large, what they were saying was this. You are making us into monstrosities. Your humanism claims we are at one with the rest of the humanity, but your racist methods set us apart. Very much at our ease, we listen to them all. Colonial administrators are not paid to read Hegel, and for that (laughs) matter, they do not read much of him.
0: They shouldn't. He's an asshole.
1: (laughs) An incomparable asshole. Especially when it comes to colonialism. Yes. But they do not need a philosopher to tell them that uneasy consciences are caught up in their own contradictions. They will not get anywhere, so let us perpetuate their discomfort. Nothing will come of it but talk. If they were, the expert told us, asking for anything at all precise in their wailing, it would be integration. Of course, there is no question of granting that. The system which depends on over-exploitation, as you know, would be mind. But it's enough to hold the carrot in front of their noses. They'll gallop all right. 1961, listen, let us waste no time in sterile litanies of nauseating mimicry. Leave this Europe where they're never done talking of man, yet murder men everywhere. They find them at the corner of every one of their own streets, in all the corners of the globe. For all the centuries, they have stifled almost the whole of humanity in the name of a so-called spiritual experience. The tone is new. Who dares speak of us? It is an African, a man from the third world, an ex-native. He adds, Europe now lives at such a mad, reckless pace that she is running headlong into the abyss, almost like we're destroying the entire planet. Weird. Weird! Huh. We would do well to keep away from it. In other words, she's done for. A truth which is not pleasant to state, but of which we are all convinced. Are we not, fellow Europeans, in the marrow of our bo- marrow of our bones? This is, and I, this
0: just the first kind of real stop hmm? here. So the first... 1961. I don't know why that fucks with me so much, but it is wild that that, that we are that contemporary for mm-hmm. for what we're talking about now. Because that is, I mean, yeah. the Beatles are doing things. I'm sure at this point, like there's <laughs> there's stuff going and, on. Guys. And
1: remember, you know, there will be a point in here that touches on America, and and we should heed what he says to France. Yes, um, especially you know anyone who is listening to us to that is as white as we are. Um, there is also a part where he speaks of America and we should take that in consideration yeah. very much too. Uh, but we already talked about the, the context with Algeria. Yeah. And then he, a, a truth, which is
0: not, pre, you know, pleasant to state, but which we are all convinced, are we not fellow Europeans of the marrow of our bones? That is, yeah. it, this is a very, very common of the existential all the existentialists, I think to a certain extent, their entire philosophy is, is built out of, uh, and, and again, I, my understanding of it to what, and I have a mild one, it was this complete and utter pessimism post World War II. All of these people saw both—I mean, had recently seen both World Wars—and it genuinely looked at the time like the it was over. You're going to end the world one way or another. This is all done. This is all going to collapse. The well, fact
1: and of course, you see the nuclear arms race. Exactly. Like I mean, that. they're
0: staring yeah. down the barrel of apocalypse, and they genuinely did. I do. The existentialists saw it most clearly. Yeah. Um, and it's why most of them ended up being I mean for the most part they most they, they all at a certain extent started as communists. Camus and Sartre were both communists to start with and then split over the uh basically they were the first tanky split. Yeah. Um Sartre Sartre was uh, uh probably the first tanky yeah. uh for for the for the squad and uh and Camus wouldn't wouldn't cross yeah, that line yeah wasn't they
1: they thought and it was something that didn't actually happen it was it, it was over was...
0: A, yeah it was a misunderstanding over there was propaganda about what was actual what the gulags actually were there was mm-hmm. there was this they were basically making them out to be death ca- like concentration camps 2.0 yeah, um, which people of course still say today but it's it, not they true do, it's not remotely it, true. at the time basically there was a it, the split i do feel is is very interesting because mm-hmm. it was there was an article there, there was news placed, mm-hmm. and the debate in real time between Sartre and Camus was: We have this information that makes the Soviet Union look bad. Yeah. Um, if it's true, if it's true, they are doing atrocities. They're hurt, they're killing people. They're they're they are as bad as the things we fight against. If this article is true, mm-hmm. and the fight came down to. Camus said you publish this 100% because true it is more important that we say it is true and if it's e- just because they're on our side if they're doing bad things bad things are bad and you have to call it out. Mm-hmm. And Sartre's line was it is more important for communism to win than it is for us to get into this moral and you know definite morality right and wrong right now. It is so much more important yeah. that that we hold up the the Soviet Union. And but even if this is true, because we can't prove it, but even if it is true right now, yeah, you do not publish this because it will only cause the the, the fascists to win, and you can't let that happen. Yeah, and, and for that, anyone
1: listening, side with Sartre on that kind of and argument. that, but
0: that's it. And that was for me. That was for me the single biggest hurdle to climb. Until mm-hmm. get here, and I didn't. It didn't. I don't. It didn't click for me until, I think, the end of State and Rev mm-hmm. is when I finally uh, kind of got over that hurdle because it is it. That is a understandable, totally understandable. moral hurdle to jump. Totally it is a that. hard thing to wrap your head around. And it, it, it's why I understand the tankies getting, uh, and I you know take that word for what it is. But yeah. I understand where that level of because it appears without any nuance, it appears c- calculated uh-huh. and and downright you know bad. Right. I mean, just right. just bad. But again, there is so much more, and we've talked about it. Right. And there's,
1: and there's two important factors to this now that, that we're bringing it up. One yeah. is that, of course, that turned out to not be exactly. true. Exactly. And and just about anything you're getting from the Westerners turns out to yes. not be true. Correct. So if you take Sartre's attitude, even if on accident, even if it's the immoral one, you're going to be right more often than not. Correct. <laughs> uh, but it
0: is important as a, philosoph- as a philosophical, philosophical exercise. Yes. It's an important thing to get yourself past because sure. I think you can still say, even if it was true... I'm at the point... I have... On the gradient, I have switched... I am at the point where I would have sided with Camus the, or with uh, Sartre in that situation. Yeah. Because you have to look at the bigger picture and you have to be able to see past idealist. Mm-hmm. This is not... Again, it's, it's what we talked about in the intro episode. You cannot play by a set of rules that the other team will not play
1: by. Right. If you, they're lying, you can't just say, well, let's nitpick the truth out. It, you, you've got to to de- deny their lives. And, and focus if you on that. and if you know
0: it is it is and it's an awful oh god. It is an ends justify the means sort yeah. of situation. Is that's what it came down to. As Sartre yeah. said the ends justify the means. Even yeah. if they are doing this, the end goal of their, vers- their their end goal of this is emancipation of the working class and uh, emancipation of colonized people. That is the the the, the reason that this is happening. The same sort of things are happening on the Western world. They're happening in the name of fascism and capitalism and exploitation and bullshit. I am siding with the right side on this, even if both yeah. sides are shit. A
1: con- contemporary example. Um, Xinjiang or Tinjiang. I'm not quite sure how to say it. I'm pretty sure it's Xinjiang. Yeah. Um, is is uh, um, where, and I've said, you know, we'll just call him Uyghur for... for simplicity's sake. Yeah, simplicity's sake. Uh, Muslims live and there's this idea that, oh, they're in concentration camps and there's vocational schools. This is an autonomous region, (laughs) like the tyranny of autonomy. But this autonomous region is sending people that they're suspecting of Islamic terror to rehabilitation of vocational schools that they go home from on the weekend. And other citizens can volunteer to go and are going because you're getting vocational education. And, you know, at the same time over in Beijing, right, there there is a a thing where they are taking, you know, some of the the. Muslim lettering and they're, they're making Mandarin letters over even stuff saying that it's halal, yeah. right? So, I mean, obviously Muslim people need to know food is halal instead of, you know, haram. Uh, but they're just saying, you know, do it in Mandarin letters. They're, they're doing nothing. I mean, Muslim practice is completely fine in Beijing. And what you get is you get the the faux-left, the supposedly anti imperialist quote-unquote, uh, people of some of these publications are saying, oh my god, they're, they're coming down on Muslims and they're, they're Islamophobic in China and they're running these concentration camps and it's not your problem to go okay well they're really doing this mandarin language the mandarin lettering thing in beijing don't get in that minutia don't get caught yeah. up in that shit you know focus on they're not banning muslimhood in beijing people are going to to you know see their um I can't think of the, the word imam, you know, all the time there. I mean, everything, they're, they're fully practicing. You know, Ie and everything is happening fine in Beijing. There are no concentration camps in Xinjiang. There's, there's none of that. This is all bullshit. And focus on that. More important, and I think more fun, uh,
0: all the same people that are hand-wringing about possible Muslim concentration camps in China... If we had Muslim concentration camps in America, it would be like, woo! We yeah. did it, boys! Oh, yeah. I mean, We hell, got them!
1: Hell, hell, yeah. Well, on top of that, the think about the Muslim... fucking f- people! The same people are telling you there's Muslim concentration camps in China are telling you, if you say, get the hell out of Syria and leave them alone, that you're an Assadist dictator it's lover. such a... Don't get into the minutia of oh, well, you know, Assad's father was a ruler and he wasn't elected till 2013. Don't get into the minutiae that he wasn't fucking killing people. The yeah. U.S. invited ISIS. This is a sovereign nation. There was a CIA op where they, they created, or I guess there was existing protests, when they enhanced protest, brought in ISIS people and sniped from the rooftops exactly as they did in Liv- Libya and Yugoslavia. And we have the documentations that they did this in Yugoslavia from the CIA, from a FOIA. You know, um, so we know they do this shit and they do the same shit over and over. Focus on that. Yeah. You know, don't go, well, I mean, Assad is a dictator because dictator doesn't even, it's it's this idea of tyranny. He's not a tyrant. Yeah. He's not a tyrant. Trump is quote unquote elected. He's a fucking tyrant. Yeah. Assad is not. And it's,
0: you know, don't get into that minutia. And it's, again, you have to look, there is a certain point where you have to go Mm -hmm. and it, it really does come with, and that's where I think it came down to. I think I think Camus was a Camus was a communist for the feel good aspects of communism. Mm-hmm. Camus was a communist because he thought it was the right way for more people to be happy. But Camus wouldn't understand you if you don't understand and again. And this is why we fucking do this. This is why we're locking ourselves in a cave hours a week the way we read this mm-hmm. because the everything builds on itself and when you have an understanding of what this actually is and what the stakes are yeah. and what you're fighting against yeah those sorts of moral fun oh but i want to feel good about it kind of goes out the window cuz you realize how fucking high the stakes are and what your enemy is going to do and it yeah. just it gets it that's where that's where that split low was and i think it is I say that to people that are in my boat because again, I was recording this podcast and still on Camus' side. I was I was yeah. halfway through state revolution and still on the side of, yeah, but does stop? but Stalin you could have done it. And now I have a picture of Stalin up in the room. Yeah. It's every- <laughs> you can get there. I know it is it is a hard I'm not trying to hand wave it and say you're an idiot if you if you think that that there's that, that moral Justice should have some sort of component to it, but you just have to really yeah read more, read more, read Marx, read
1: Lenin. Read more. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's one of those things, it's not like we're we're as bad as troops. I haven't like flown to another country to kill brown people for a living. No, but, but that yet. said that no. said, you know, we're not red diaper babies. And like I said about the troops, if there are good ones, they don't want to hear, oh, feel empathy for the good you know, you need to understand it from a materialist perspective to stave it off. But other than that, they they want to hear fuck it, or they're not one of the good ones, yeah. right? You know, we're the same way. We get it. We were there. We yeah. were there not that long ago. Yeah. That said, Fuck that, yeah, fuck that ideology! Get on, get get on, on the right side. Get on the right and, side. And we understand that for a horde of people to hear "fuck that ideology" and and it to actually go somewhere, yeah. the people need to know what what we're saying that for. And more importantly, just for anything to go anywhere, you need this theory. And that's why we're here educating. Education. Yep. Back, Back to, to Sartre. Sartre. <laughs> We must, however, make one reservation. When a Frenchman, for example, says the other Frenchman, the country is done for, which has happened, I should think almost every day since 1930, it is emotional talk, burning with love and fury. The speaker includes himself with his fellow countrymen, and then usually he adds, unless. His meaning is clear. No more mistakes must be made. If his instructions are not carried out to the letter, then and only then will the country go to pieces. In short, it is a threat, followed by a piece of advice... And these remarks are so much less shocking than they spring from a national intersubjectivity. But on the contrary, when Fanon says of Europe that she is rushing to her doom, far from sounding the alarm, he, he is merely setting out a diagnosis. The doctor neither claims that he is a hopeless case, miracles have been known to exist, nor does he give her the means to cure herself. He certifies that she is dying on external evidence founded on the symptoms... That he can, I hate all these split pages in this, observe. As to curing her, no, he has other things to think about. Mm -hmm. He does not give a damn whether she lives or dies. Because of this, his book is scandalous. And if you murmur jokingly embarrassed, he has it in for us. The true nature of the scandal escapes you. For Fanon has nothing in for you at all. His work, for red hot for some, and what concerns you is as cold as ice. He speaks of you often, never to you. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my God, Sartre. Yeah, I mean, just fuck that. Like you don't even matter. Just like the the uh, Chinese was a Chinese foreign minister. That yes. Was on channel oh fuck.
0: Yes. God, I'm glad we got that one. In. Yes. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. The vid- There was a video on British TV
1: of them. Oh a a British Channel column- Four news, which is like the second biggest channel there beside, behind BBC. Yeah. And it was it was like the the foreign minister, and it was some British like super pro colonial douchebag was like, well, what about the Hong Kong protests? What do you, what does it matter? What about what Britain thinks since nineteen ninety seven? And he was like. What do we care? Britain has nothing. This yeah, is Chinese that, now. You think you think you matter, Britain? Oh, that's
0: cute. <laughs> that's cute. Go over into your own you'd be better served worrying about your own bullshit than getting involved in China's. Right. Stay out of your core. Right. So this was
1: the same thing yeah. from Fanon. And it's it's so great. But we are gonna get into why, you know, I mean, even for white people, this is an important work. Sartre lays that out well. Yes. But, but yeah. he's basically saying is he doesn't speak to you. So for one thing, don't take it as Threat, yeah. You should be cheering on this this win, or you're never gonna th- overthrow your own oppressors, uh, you know. And for another thing, don't use it, you know. Like we said, we why why listen to Venezuelans and listen to blah doesn't work. Listen to Colombians doesn't work. You know, Colombia is run by right wing shit sacks that the U.S. puppeted in there, right? We we can't just take that for granted so we have to understand the levels of leaders and that there are corrupt ones in here but by the same token it's not ours to correct we should analyze are they imperial puppets are they not yeah if they're imperial puppets fuck them fuck (laughs) them if they aren't it's not our place to to run out good or bad or how well they've decolonized that's their thing get your nose out of it yeah worry decolonize your own shit first that's right take care of shit at home Get get your act together before you start messing with other people's acts. The black goncourts and the yellow nobles are finished. The days of colonized laureates are over. An ex-native, French speaking, bends that language to new requirements, makes use of it, and speaks to the colonized only. <laughs> Natives of all underdeveloped countries unite. What a downfall! For the fathers, we alone are the speakers. The sons no longer even consider us as valid intermediaries. We are the objects of their speeches. Of course, Fanon mentions in passing our well-known crimes. Satif Hanoi, Madagascar, but he does not waste time in condemning them. He uses them. If he demonstrates the tactics of colonialism, the complex play of relations which unite and oppose the colonists to the people of the mother country, it is for his brothers. His aim is to teach them to beat us at our own game. In short, the third world finds itself and speaks to itself through his voice. We know that this is not a homogeneous world. We know, too, that enslaved people are still to be found there, together with some who have achieved a simulacrum of phony independence, others who are still fighting to attain sovereignty, and others, again, who have attained complete freedom, but who live under the constant menace of imperial aggression. (laughs) Cuba.
0: Oh, my. The whole world. Venezuela. This entire yeah. this entire fucking like
1: monologue is yeah. like
0: completely applicable right now. Oh, all of it is 1000% accurate.
1: Yes. These differences are born of colonial history, in other words, oppression. Here, the mother country is satisfied to keep some feudal rulers in her pay. There, dividing the ruling, she has created a native bourgeoisie, a sham from the beginning to end. Elsewhere, she has played a double game. The colony is planted with the settlers and exploited at the same time. Thus, and again, you know, I mean, these guys are their masters Mm -hmm. and they create us as the exploiters of, of... The Wretched of the Earth, is what Fanon will call them. Uh, But then they're also our masters, and all it is is one giant power feed to them. And so what gives us any kind of luxury, the gold plating on our chains Cums. is the exploitation on the backs of these people who are also exploited by the same masters and we can't overthrow the masters until we reject the gold plating on our chains that keeps us from breaking them yep. and there is also a moral argument for us to stop exploiting the people of the global south and and to you know help them break their chains and that has to be done first or there's too much power, yep. you know, because again, you know, I, Marx meant it in a very fancy shiny gold way but gold is also a very strong metal you know yeah. gold gold chains would be impossible to break yeah. and that's that's the way it kind of works out it's it's an analogy that's accidentally too good by hooks <laughs> you know <laughs> so um. Again, Fanon hides nothing in order to fight against us. The former colony must fight against itself, or rather, the two struggles from part of a whole. In the heat of the battle, all internal barriers break down. The puppet bourgeoisie of businessmen and shopkeepers, the urban proletariat, which is always in a privileged position, the lumpen proletariat of the shanty towns, all fall into line with the stand made by the rural masses. That veritable reservoir of a national revolutionary army. For in those countries where colonialism has deliberately held up development, the peasantry when it rises, quickly stands out as a revolutionary class, for it knows naked oppression and suffers far more from it than the workers in the towns. And in order not to die of hunger, it demands no less than a complete demolishing of all existing structures. You know, there's no more... What about what about the structures in place? Safe? Yeah. You know, none of that. That doesn't matter to them. It's all oppression to them. They see it and see its face. And this is the first... This is another
0: interesting one, because this is the first work... I mean, I, Mao, obviously, we touched on and would... would heavily heavily utilized the peasantry but this Mm. is this is the first work that uh, uh, lenin not for not for a bad fault but lenin was far more focused on the vanguard portion of the party than he was on the peasantry he yeah. obvi- and, and that's not to say in his, theor- in his theory he mentions more about the vanguard and about the... Yeah, the, he does write directly to the peasantry. Exactly. And, and, and he, there are
1: works we have not read where he writes to the And the, the Bolsheviks were, were intentionally inclusive of the peasantry. Yeah, the hammer and sickle was not it's, without meaning. And, and exactly. And peasantry was enormous and necessary. And like we said, that was the difference between the February Revolution, the July floundering of the Bolsheviks, and the October oh. Revolution. The February Revolution was a liberal revolution. At that time, the peasantry fully belonged to the yeah. In July, the Bolsheviks were dying out. But the SRs were starting to expose who they were as they got cocky and the peasants were turning away from them because the Bolsheviks were saying, yeah, no, of course, seize what is yours. And then the October Revolution was when, you know, that fully manifested with the peasants on the Bolshevik side. Uh, What Fanon is saying here, and and again, you know, Mao got into this too, is when you're more clearly a colonized nation, you know, the the USSR was a mix between a colonizer and several colonized nations. Uh, China is a fully colonized nation, you know, and. Uh, Algeria is a fully colonized nation. When you're a fully colonized nation, you're going to see the peasantry as the people who have to rise up because that's the overwhelming masses because everybody in that society has been degraded. Yeah. And the peasantry is the leftover overwhelming majority. Exactly. And that's... And, and even, even the workers, the workers, ha- and this is what Fanon is talking about and what Sartre has been mentioning this whole intro, even the workers have been educated to serve the capitalist masters. So they become agents of imperialism. And so the peasantry are the ones who see this for itself. They're not trained to be the agents of imperialism, who have been civilized and brought to work or whatever the hell the the, the imperialist belief is for industrialization. They are flat out the people that see it. So in a colonizing nation or a first world nation, whatever you want to call it, it's the proletariat who see... Uh, the the relation to the means of production. Yeah. And that's why that's why they can be the revolutionary class. In the Russian revolution the peasants had to be a big part of it because it was a largely feudal society, you need that 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 group of population. In these colonized nations, the means of production are mostly the raw materials
0: that are gathered by
1: The working class is the peasantry. The proletariat there is, they are, it is the peasantry rather than the proletariat. There's some industrialization, but it's the peasantry who uh, have the relationship. The the lumpenproletariat, if you will. Yeah, the lumpenproletariat, if you will, yeah. Um, They're the ones that have the relationship to the means of production. And you have to have the relationship to the means of production to be the radical revolutionary class. And arguably they have even, even more... They they are
0: they are your revolutionary class. They see it. They they have the same I uh, you know relation to means of production and alienation mm-hmm. from their from their labor that that mm-hmm. the working class would have in, in Russia. They also benefits the wrong word. I'm trying to think. They're also doubly there's a second level of oppression that they face mm-hmm. that's even different because again the, the the institutionalized racism on top of all those other factors. Means that you have a wildly revolutionary group of people that will absolutely
1: do everything in their power because it's life and death. Yeah, it's it's life and death for them. And what there's not? I mean, so, there's some institutions that are going to benefit middle grounds. Like we're we're gonna sit here, right, as people in the United States, as 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 white proletarians in the United States, that can go like, well, you know, I I I maybe want universal health care. Well, obviously, that's gonna mostly help you know black and, and poor communities. Yeah. but that can benefit us and be damned if imperialism stays to keep it from us we can we can rely on institutions that harm other people to help us while rejecting the institutions that hurt us these peasants every institution is harmed. Yeah. so they're going to see them for what they are you know so that that's very very important and of course on top of that this is 1961 so this has seen the russian and the chinese revolutions and learned some lessons about who the peasants are yeah. that marx and pre-october revolution lenin didn't quite see yet although Lennon obviously learned on the fly yeah Lenin, Lenin, Lennon picked it up quick yeah and obviously you know Mao knew it but we've only read a little bit of Mao a little bit of Mao not yeah yeah, and not, not the most revolutionary part sure uh, in order to triumph, the national revolution must be socialist. If its career is cut short, if the native bourgeoisie takes over power, the new state, in spite of its formal sovereignty, remains in the hands of imperialists. Thus, the unity of the third world is not yet achieved. It is a work in progress, which begins by the union of each country after independence, as before, of the whole colonized people under the command of the peasant class. This is what Fanon explains to his brothers in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. We must achieve. Revolution revolutionary socialism altogether everywhere or else one by one will be defeated by our former masters he hides nothing neither weaknesses nor discords nor mystifications now i i think that's that's, I mean, obviously very, very right. There's there's a belief that Mao had called third-worldism, mm-hmm. right? And the idea is all of the colonized nations decolonize, 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 and that leads to the liberation of the whole world. Correct. And I, I think the problem with that is I don't think Mao was wrong because the third-world countries are so revolutionary and because imperial power is so reliant on them that without them they would collapse. But I think Mao didn't realize the power of one imperialist power's hegemony once the U.S. emerged as hegemonic after World War II, especially with the CIA's existence um, of how how much that was going to undercut that. And even if he was right and still is right and still is right in the future, in the first world, that's not an ideology that does any good. You know, that's sit on your hands and hope everybody else does the work. And that's that's bullshit.
0: Yeah, but and I, I don't necessarily think it goes to that, though. I think it, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to say I
1: disagree with that. Well, and that's the hard part. I don't completely disagree I, with third worldism. No. I think it's on to something, and I think we're getting that a little bit from Fanon here. But what Fanon says is everybody's got to be defeated, or the former ma- former masters come back. And I think that's true. We even have to defeat it in the first world, yes, or it's just going to recolonize.
0: And I think that's I think and that is see, the case. Yeah. I think if the third I think the 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 third world needs to act as a block together because they are. Because individual third world... And now again, this has been disproven in a couple different cases. Cuba is probably one of the best examples of this Mm -hmm. in a a sense of a... They are a a quote-unquote third world country that has managed to maintain and sustain socialism... Without assistance, for lack of a better word, especially since the USSR fell. Yeah, um, but
1: look at the struggles they went through in the '90s, with exactly. The food shortages and things like
0: that. And it could have broke. I mean, if they did not have, again, if Fidel was not Fidel, that could have easily collapsed on itself. It yeah. Very, and, and, the and they have
1: conflict. very important trade relations. Like they help Venezuela, and Venezuela helps, helps them, them, and Nicaragua, and now China's. Yeah, and China's. I mean, so so it does it does help that they work together too. But yeah. I think that is the in the in the
0: third world, especially in the colonized nations. They, it, I, I do see, I do see the appeal of that, of, of that theory. I don't mm-hmm. think it means, I, I don't think it means that if you want to uh, subscribe to third worldism that you sit on your hands in the Imperial core, and just wait for the rest of them to do it. I think you have to be attacking it from within at the same time under the assumption that you're basically attacking it from both ends. You're going to attack it from the top and the bottom. And then if you can knock it out, if the third world all was to rise as one. They form a block that is so much more powerful and so much more resistant to imperial hegemony. That if you're attacking from the top at the same
1: time, the top, it, the then
0: you can topple it, and then you can you can if you weaken the top, if the top is more worried about internal fighting, they're not going to be able to. If we are attacking from within the imperial core, if we are putting pressure on it where the resources of this country are taken up trying to squash internal bullshit. Mm-hmm the CIA is going to have less ability to go try and be cooing sure. every other... And again, earth. that's the scary part of hegemony,
1: but also that maybe allows us a better target
0: from I, internal... Exactly. You events. have one target. If you to, uh, the United, if you toppled
1: the United States right now... Yeah. I mean, obviously, Britain would still exist, France would still exist, Canada would still exist, and a lot of that wealth and that power would travel there, but it would be such a big it, setback. That that right. would be it would be like the collapse of the Soviet Union was for socialism. Exactly. And it would be in the same... And all of the... A lot of the
0: resources and, and, and things of that would be instead of, you know, uh, comrades in Venezuela fighting against the giant hammer of America, mm. all of that would flow would help flow down and, and support yeah. those comrades. And I, so, again, I, I don't think third worldism to subscribe to that means that the first world should do nothing. I think the first world still has to be trying. Uh, we have to find whatever our path is. Yeah. But for the colonized people, I think third worldism makes absolute and you saw I, again in, in these places where where you tried to is that where you establish, North North Korea, uh North Vietnam Vietnam, how much pain and suffering and struggle did they go through because I mean again, to Mao's to to, to disproving Mao, they survived. Yeah. But god damn did they have to suffer a great deal to do that yeah. because they did not have that, that group, they did not have allies in that sense. They were fighting, you know, mm-hmm. against the—by themselves, one-handed, against the greatest powers in the world.
1: Yeah, that said, it was a side that I, I, I thought was good, but I think— No, for sure. What he's getting at here, and I only thought of the third world was Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Mm-hmm. But I think what he's getting at here is kind of sowing the seeds for something that he's known for and, like, Kwame Nkrumah's known for, yeah. and that's Pan-Africanism. Exactly.
0: Oh, and he, I mean, and he said it. We must achieve socialism altogether everywhere or else we'll be defeated one by one. Yeah, That that whole concept of we all do it as a group or we can't do it at all yeah. is absolutely A-style. And I, I think it it's weird because I think it gets conflated with that Trotsky, the uh, you know, eternal, uh, constant revolution bullshit yeah. nonsense. And I don't think... I think they are absolutely distinct ideas. Like, mm-hmm. you can throw out... Trotsky bullshit and still believe <laughs> everyone needs to be you need to try and move as a unit because you're stronger Absolutely. together than you are,
1: are individually. Sure. Uh, So carrying on, the reader is sternly put to his guard against the most dangerous will of the Wisps, the cult of the leader of the personalities, Western (laughs) culture. And what is equally to be feared, the withdrawal into twilight of past African culture. For only the true culture is that of revolution. That is to say, it is constantly in the making. Fanon speaks out loud. We Europeans can hear him. As fact that you hold this book in your hand proves, is he not then afraid that the colonial powers may take advantage of his sincerity? No, he fears nothing. Our methods are out of date. They can sometimes delay emancipation, but not stop it. And do not think that we can change our ways. Neocolonialism, that idle dream of mother countries, is a lot of hot air. The Third Forces don't exist. I'm not sure what the Third Forces are. I'm not either, and we'll find out and get back to you later. Uh, Or if they do, they're only a tin-pot bourgeoisie that colonialism has already placed in the saddle. Our Machiavellianism has little purchase on this wide-awake world that has run our falsehoods to Earth one after another. The settler is only recourse of one thing, brute force. When he can command it, the native has only one choice, between servitude or supremacy. What does Fanon care whether you read his work or not? It is to his brothers that he denounces our old tricks, and he is sure we have no more up our sleeves. It is to them, he says, Europe has laid her hands on our continents, and we must slash at her fingernails till she lets go. Europeans, you must open this book and enter into it. A few steps into the darkness, you will see strangers gather around a fire. Come close and listen, for they are talking of the destiny that they will mete out to your trading centers and to the hired soldiers who defend them. You will see They will see you, perhaps, but they will go on talking amongst themselves without even lowering their voices. This indifference strikes home. Their fathers, shadowy creatures, your creatures, but dead souls... You, it, it was a lot. who allowed them to glimpse of light. To you only did they dare speak, and you did not bother to reply to such zombies. Their sons ignore you. A fire warms them and sheds light around them, and you have not lit it. Now, at a respectful distance, it is you who will feel furtive, nightbound, and perished with cold. Turn and turn about in these shadows from whence a new dawn will break. It is you who are the zombies."
0: Damn. yeah don't no fucking around today uh and third forces uh apparently uh as is understood in this context is essentially a a middle party a middle group that kind of comes in to act as a check and balance on two i uh opposing.
1: Oh, so oh! Kind of con- like what France
0: was trying to do to keep stuff out of the FLN's hands. Exactly this yeah, concept right. of there is a third neutral party that that kind of mediates between the two and keeps them in check. Uh, like in Britain, when you have a uh, you have a we don't have a two party system, you have theoretically a three party or four party system, and you've got this middle party that kind of checks the extremes of the other two and keeps everything in check. Yeah. that
1: seems to be what uh is uh, referencing huh. there. In this case, you will say, "Let's throw away this book. Why read it if it's not written for us?" Mm. For two reasons. The first is that Fanon explains you to his brothers and shows them the mechanisms by which we are estranged from ourselves. Take advantage of this and get to know yourselves, seen in the light of truth objectively. That part right there is so fucking important.
0: Yes. That right. Yes. That, yeah. that, 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 that. And that goes to this book. That goes to all sorts. Of why? Black Lives Matter. What You need to engage with this because it is difficult and because it is not about you. You need to look in the mirror and see exactly
1: what... E- the, yeah, and that doesn't mean make it about you, but god damn it, no. engage and look internally at yourself as you're doing it. Exactly. This is not go in there and engage. I'm not and saying go and look internally out. at yourself as a group, because remember yes. these these you know marginalized groups are looking internally themselves, not down to a person, but as a group. Don't look at this and go, but I'm nice, so this yeah, isn't who about gives me. Fuck? fuck. off. This is there is a reason
0: that these broad, that these giant overarching truths are 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 so. You have to recognize that even if you're, you're. oh, but I'm not bad. Fine, you're part of the problem. Get, get, yeah. Understand that. There's no not
1: bad. There's okay? no not so bad. You're either contributing to the problem or you're fighting against it. And you cannot fight against it if you think, I'm one of the good ones. I don't do that. You have to take the burden of the group onto Run. your shoulders. Yes. Or you can't carry
0: it up the hill. It's why you cannot just go... Yes, I know that fascists are bad, so I won't vote for fascists. Yeah, but I, I can't. But I can't. I. uh, But I'm comfortable with what I have. Tough. You don't get to be comfortable.
1: Yeah. You don't get to be comfortable at other people's expense. Sorry. Nope. Nope. Our victims know us by their scars and by their chains, and it is this that makes their evidence irrefutable. It is enough that they show us what we have made of them for us to realize what we have made of ourselves. But is it any use? Yes, for Europe's at its death's door. But you will say we live in the mother country and we disapprove of her excesses.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Never mind, right. sorry. Yeah. Sartre, Sartre got it for our Sartre's got
1: it, yeah. Sartre's got us. It is true. You are not settlers, but you are no better. Goddamn, he really did have a son of a bitch. I should have waited. <laughs> For the pioneers belong to you. You sent them overseas. It was you they enriched. You warned them that if they shed too much blood, you would disown them. Or say you did in something of the same way that any state maintains abroad, a mob of agitators, agent provocateurs, and spies to whom it disowns when they're caught. I love the idea of spies That's, disowned when they're, they're caught. caught. Yeah. No,
0: it's it, no, it's exactly that. It's the it's the oh, we 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 wrung our hands
1: during the uh, you know. It's during... Fox News finally calling the shooters white supremacist terrorists after two and twenty four hours, but they're not the white supremacists. They're just the no. conservatives. No. You know, yeah, you're, they, right? They're no. just disowning them, yeah. right? It's the same thing. And and again, you, another thing, by the way, uh, mental illness uh, is not an ideology. No. No, It is not an
0: ideology. A, 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 a manifesto uh, that, uh, that details a very, very white supremacist, settler-colonial, racist nonsense
1: is not mental illness. No, it's white supremacy. There's a difference. There's a huge difference. Um... So, you who are so liberal and so humane, who have such an exaggerated adoration of culture that it verges on affection, you who pretend to forget that you own colonies and that in them men are massacred in your name, Fanon reveals to his comrades, above all to some of them who are rather too westernized, the solidarity of the people of the mother country and of their representatives in the colonies. Have the courage to read this book, for in the first place it will make you ashamed, ashamed as Marx says, is a revolutionary sentiment. You see, I too am incapable of ridding myself of subjective illusions. I too say to you, all is lost unless, as a European, I steal the enemy's book, and out of it I fashion a remedy for Europe, make the most of it. And here is the second reason. If you set aside Sorrel's fascist utterances, uh, and Sorrel was the the French fascist um, I can't think of Nope. God damn it.
0: And we're back. And we're back. So,
1: okay. so, explain that sentence one more time, because I'm about to yell. Okay. Okay. Sorel was was the guy that—he was this French philosopher that kind of laid the foundation of the populist anti-establishment left or right, so where the fascists steal our language. So, like, when you talk about, um, you know, there being a cabal of of wealthy, you know, uh, capitalists that rule over you, and then the fascists say that and go, hmm— what marginalized group can I assign that to? Oh, the Jews, the the gay people, you know, all that stuff, right? Sorrel kind of laid all the soil of that, right? He was was the anti-establishment far-right guy. He was... All right, so
0: David has explained that for me to now do this, because this is the most incoherent family tree of influences I've ever seen (laughs) listed in the history of (laughs) fucking time. Uh, It's Wikipedia. I don't care! George Sorel was a French philosopher and theorist of Sorrelianism. His notion of the power of myth in people's lives inspired socialists, anarchists, Marxists, and fascists. That's not how this works. They don't all get to get together. It is together with his defense of violence, the contribution for which he is most remembered. Uh, influenced, Benito Mussolini, Antonio Gramsci. How are there two more disparate human beings? Just the fuck is happening? Influenced by Marx, Proudhon, Nietzsche. What is this man? Okay.
1: What Just... is this nightmare person? Okay. Just remember, Wikipedia is bad. I don't care.
0: Wikipedia. Is
1: this bad. is insanity. <laughs> okay. So when they do the anti-science, and they kind of take, they take. The Marxist idea that educated people are apologists for the bourgeoisie, right? And they tell you that science is fake to like deny climate change when fascists do that. That's Sorel. Influenced Gramsci, Schmidt,
0: Mussolini, Hitler, Lenin. Yeah, no, I. Just... Lenin! Stop it. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs>
1: I HAVE NOTHING! I... Wait, I HAVE NOTHING! I would like to see the sources on him influencing Lenin. I don't! Damn I don't! don't, a damn thing I,
0: Lenin don't I don't even burn this whole thing to the ground. Please keep talking about Sartre. Oh, okay. I need to cry. Okay. I'm gonna cry in the corner. Okay. Oh my so god. So anyway, if
1: you set aside Sorrel's fascist utterance... Please set him aside! You will find that Fanon is the first since Engels to bring the processes of history into the clear light of day. Moreover, you need to not think that hot-headedness or unhappy childhood has given him some uncommon taste for violence. He acts as the interpreter of the situation, that's all. But this is enough to enable him to constitute, step by step, the dialectic which liberal hypocrisy hides from you and which is much responsible for our existence as for his." During the last century, the middle classes looked on the workers as covetous creatures, made lawless by their greedy desires, but they took care to include these great brutes in our own species, or at least they considered that they were free men, that is to say, free to sell their labor. In France, as in England, humanism claimed to be universal. In this case of forced labor, it is quite contrary. There is no contract. Moreover, there must be intimidation, and thus oppression grows. Our soldiers overseas, rejecting the universalism of the mother country, apply the numerism clauses to the human race. Since none of them may enslave, rob, or kill his fellow man without committing a crime, they lay down the principle that the native is not one of our fellow men. Our striking power has been given the mission of changing this abstract certainty into reality. The order is given to reduce the inhabitants of changing this abstract certainty into reality. The order is given to reduce, to justify the settlers' treatments of them as beasts of burden. Violence in the colonies does not only have for its aim the keeping of these enslaved men at arm's length. It seeks to dehumanize them. Everything will be done to wipe out their traditions, to substitute our language for theirs, and to destroy their culture without giving them ours. Now, you should be. <gasps> Sartre is spot on here My. about how colonization works. God. This is why missionaries are such a big deal. This is why stamping out languages and religions is such trouble and why it's so, so pertinent that these white supremacists love saying, you know, if you can't speak English, get out, right? I mean, they they just, they, they love it. It's why there was total disrespect of one of the holiest places in all of the land, a, a central Rock of life that was very central to the religious of several you know Dakota and Lakota peoples that had president 's faces blasted into it with dynamite, they have to destroy the culture that 's part of colonization you and that's why today, you know, I mean, as for as imperfect as the UN is, and we touched on that earlier, uh, and for they think property rights is part of human rights and in, in their bullshit, uh, they also do have proper definitions of ethnic cleansing and genocide yeah. that include erasure of culture even mm-hmm. when people aren't killed, and obviously people will get killed in this process. Yeah. You know, that is a part of genocide. But it's Isn't a part it, of it. It's a, is a fact. A, yeah, yeah, it is erasing a people. Yeah.
0: Okay, so forgive the uh, horrible audio interlude, but uh, at this point in the podcast, Nathan goes on a very long rant about Route Rushmore. It's completely worthless. It adds nothing to the context. Uh, We decided it needed to be cut. That being said, halfway through that rant, Nathan had another mental breakdown about Sorrel, and, uh, and that was necessary. So join that breakdown in progress.
1: God damn
0: it! And We're f- gonna have to go over Sorrel. We have to go over a lot of things. <laughs> Apparently, I don't understand shit anymore. Wikipedia is bad. Don't, I don't get it, it, but it's that's bad. a joke. That's a. Pu- I'm getting punked. <laughs> Someone at Wikipedia is trying to fuck with me.
1: Sorrel was—he was just an anti-institutionalist. Science was fake, and violence was was good, and and arts is bad, and it kind of okay. So think about this, right? In the United States. We know the Ivy League is shitty elitist bullshit where a lot of white supremacy is given officialdom and said to be smarter, right? Yep. Okay? That's a Marxist perspective, and that's a realistic perspective. Mm -hmm. Now, if I looked at that and said, okay, so we're justified in burning down all the colleges and getting rid of secondary education, would that still be a Marxist perspective or would that be a fucking fascist one?
0: Well it would be weird. Stop trying to make me think about Sorel. I don't want to hold think on, about Sorel anymore. That would
1: be a fascist one, right? Probably. That's Sorel. Okay. But that doesn't influence Lenin. It didn't influence Stop listening to Wikipedia. That's the only thing I have. Alright, so moving limited. on. Everything will be done to wipe out their traditions, to substitute our language for theirs, and to destroy their culture without giving them ours. Sheer physical fatigue will stupefy them. Starved and ill, if they have any spirit left, fear will finish the job. Guns are leveled at the peasant. Civilians come to take over his land and force him, by dint of flogging, to till the land for them. If he shows fight, the soldiers fire, and he's a dead man. If he gives in, he degrades himself, and he's no longer a man at all. Shame and fear will split up his character and make him, inmost self-fall to pieces. The business is conducted with flying colors and by experts— the psychological services weren't established yesterday, nor was brainwashing. And yet, in spite of all these efforts, their ends are nowhere achieved. Neither in the Congo nor Little N's hands were cut, where the <laughs> where they were cut off. Right? Where people's and, hands were cut off. Yes, and, and we talked about that. You know, I mean, that was yeah, we've Belgium. Talked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nor in Angola. Where until very recently, malcontents' lips were pierced in order to shut them with padlocks. Come on. I do not say that it is impossible to change a man into an animal. It is simply. I simply say that you won't get there without weakening him considerably. Blows will never suffice. You have to push the starvation further, and that's the trouble with slavery. That's the trouble. You know what? ending a sentence with and that's the trouble of slavery is a very very Sartre thing to do it it is it's exactly his type of prose It, it really is For when you domesticate a member of our own species, you reduce his output, and however little you may give him, a farmyard man finishes by costing more than he brings in. For this reason, the settlers are obliged to stop breaking in halfway. The result, neither man nor animal, is the native. Beaten, undernourished, ill, terrified, but only up to a certain point. He has, whether he's black, yellow, or white... Always the same traits of character. He's a slyboots, a lazybones, a thief who lives on nothing, who understands only violence. Poor settler. Here it is contradiction naked, shorn of its trappings. He ought to kill those he plunders. Now, this is, not impos- this is not possible because he must exploit them as well because he can't carry massacre to genocide and slavery to animal-like degradation. He loses control, the machine goes into reverse, and a relentless logic leads him to a decolonization. He has already lost the battle, but this is not obvious. He does not yet know that the natives are only half-native. To hear him talk, it would seem that he ill-treats them in order to destroy or repress the evil they have rooted in them and after three generations, their pernicious instincts will reappear no more. What instincts does he mean? The instincts that urge slaves on to massacre their master? Can he not here recognize his own cruelty turned against himself? In the savagery of these oppressed peasants, he does not find his own settler's savagery, which they have absorbed through every pore, for which there is no cure? The reason is simple. This imperious being, crazed by his absolute power, and by the fear of losing it, no longer remembers clearly that he was once a man he takes himself for a horsewhip or a gun he has come to believe that the domestication of inferior races will come about by the conditioning of their reflexes again that is a good explanation of of the transition from what we consider liberalism which is is built on this shit to what we consider fascism and how they're interrelated and how they're built on the same thing and have been at the core since the dawn of colonialism, right? And why they are the same ideology. You know, there's this too gross why why would you have violence and and then there's this ideology where the submission of the lesser people that has given them power now you're not even recognizing the power or the humanity of others or your own violence it's just a given and you're a tool of keeping up this violence because it's your purpose on this earth that's what you're meant to do and again this is how you wind up with these white supremacist shootings in muslim churches in towns like el paso things like that you know But in this, he leaves out of the account of the human memory and of the ineffable marks left upon it, and then above all there is something which perhaps he has never known. We only become what we are by radical and deep-seated refusal of which others have made of us. Three generations, did we say? Hardly has the second generation opened their eyes, and from on there, they've seen their fathers being flogged. In psychiatric terms, they are traumatized for life, but these are constantly renewed aggressions. Far from bringing them to submission thrust them from the unbearable contradiction which the European will pay for sooner or later. After that, when is their turn to be broken in? When are they taught what shame and hunger and pain are? All that is stirred up in them is a volcanic fury whose force is equal to that of the pressure put upon them. You said they understand nothing but violence? Of course. First, the only violence is the settlers, but soon they will make their own. That is to say, the same violence is thrown back upon us as when our own reflection comes forward to meet us when we go towards a mirror. Make no mistake about it. This mad fury by this bitterness and spleen, by ever-present desire to kill us, by the permanent tensing of powerful muscles which are afraid to relax, they have become men, men because of the settler, who wants to make beasts of burden of them because of him and against him. Uh, We realize what follows. They're lazy, of course. It's a form of sabotage. They're sly and thieving. Just imagine what their petty thefts mark the beginning of resistance, which is still unorganized. That is not enough. There are those among them who assert themselves by throwing themselves barehanded against the guns, as they are heroes. Others make men of themselves by murdering Europeans, and these are shot down. Brigands are martyrs. Their agony exalts the terrified masses. Yes, terrified at this frustration, fresh stage. Colonial aggression turns inward and a current terror among the natives. By this I do not only mean the fear that they experience when faced with the inexhaustible means of repression, but also that which their own fury produces in them. They are cornered between our guns pointed at them and those terrifying compulsions, those desires for murder which spring from them, from the depths of their spirit, which they do not always recognize, for it is not their violence, it is ours, which turns back on itself and rends them. And the first action of these oppressed creatures is to bury deep down that hidden anger, which their and our moralities condemn, and which is, however, only the last refuge of their humanity. Read Fanon. You will learn how, in the period of their helplessness, their mad impulses to murder is the expression of the native's collective unconscious. If this suppressed fury fails to find an outlet, it turns into a vacuum and devastates the oppressed creatures themselves. In order to free themselves, they even massacre each other. The different tribes fight between themselves since they cannot face the real enemy. And you can count on colonial policy to keep their rivalries. And you can see this now with uh, a a good example of this is the uh, Shia and Sunni Uh division. Uh, That's the division that's lasted for over a thousand years. It had been peaceful for centuries. It was like a little animus at the very beginning and then peaceful for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. And then since 1979, the simultaneous rise of Wahhabism outside of Saudi Arabia uh, with the rise of the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and ISIS all coming from the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Uh, And of course, the independence movement that overthrew the Shah in uh, Iran. And since the rise of that, colonialists have really set the Shia and the Sunni people at odds with each other where they don't all fight. I mean, it's not a two tribal thing. You know, it's not um, it's not down to a man. But generally, the political forces are now rivals in a way they were not before. They lived perfectly peacefully. That's a Western creation. And of course, thanks to Orientalism, people get to point to that and go, oh, that goes back a thousand years. People have always been fighting. America has nothing to do with that. Bullshit. We created that. Yeah. Yep. <coughs> well, let's see. Whoop. <laughs> Under the amused eye of the settler, they will take the greatest precautions against their own kind and by setting up supernatural barriers at times of reviving old and terrible myths... Again, the shooting in the sea. Uh-huh. And others binding themselves by scrupulous rites. It is in this way that an obsessed person flees from his deepest needs by binding himself to certain observances which require his attention at every turn. I'm going to skip a couple paragraphs here and say... Laying claim to and denying the human condition at the same time, the contradiction is explosive. For that matter, it does explode. You know as well as I do, and we are living at the moment in which the match is put to the fuse. In Algeria and Angola, Europeans are massacred at sight. It is the moment of the boomerang. It is the third phase of violence. It comes back on us. It strikes us. And we do not realize any more than we did the other times that it's what we who have launched it. The liberals are stupefied. They admit that we are not polite enough to the natives and that it would have been wiser and fairer to allow them certain rights insofar as it was possible. They ask nothing better than to admit them in batches without sponsors to that very exclusive club, our species. And now, this barbarous mad outburst doesn't spare them any more than the bad settlers. The left at home is embarrassed. They know the true situation of the natives, the merciless oppression they are submitted to, and they do not condemn their revolt, knowing full well that we have done everything to provoke it. But all the same, they think to themselves, there are limits. <laughs> These guerrillas should be bent on showing that they are chivalrous. Oh my God. That there would be the best way of showing their men. Sometimes the left scolds them. You're going too far. We won't support you anymore. The natives don't give a damn about their support. For all the good it does them when they might as well stuff it up their backsides. (laughs) Get it, get it, Sartre. (laughs) Get it, Sartre. There is one duty to be done, one end to achieve, to thrust out colonialism by every means of their power, by any means Means necessary. necessary. Thanks, Malcolm X. Uh, The more far-seeing among us will be, in the last resort, ready to admit this duty to the end. But we cannot help seeing it in this ordeal by force, the altogether inhumane means that these less-than-men make of us to win the concession of charter of humanity. Accord it to them at once, then, and let they endeavor by peaceful undertakings to deserve it. Our worthiest souls contain racial prejudice." They would do well to read Fanon, for he shows clearly that this irresponsible violence is neither sound in fury, nor the resurrection of savage instincts, nor even the effect of resentment. It is man recreating himself. The native cures himself of colonial neurosis by thrusting out a settler through the force of arms. When his rage boils over, he rediscovers his lost innocence, and he comes to know himself that, himso- that he creates his
0: yeah, now we're getting into the existentialism. There it is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> now we're getting it into the existentialism. existentialism.